0: Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon.
1: Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. It sounds like my voice wants to go someplace else. Excuse me. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I'm so delighted to have you with us today. I think you're going to find that today we have something very, very interesting that you're definitely going to want to hear and probably share it with your friends. Let's start by having you go to the self-improvement blog, take a look at our guest bio, his picture. Uh, you're going to want to do this. The links to his website are there, and also the link to his book, which is just phenomenal. Uh, I recommend that any of you who are in a relationship get this book. I'd venture to say that all of us, have been in relationships that didn't work unless you're just starting out. Some of us who are older and perhaps some of you who are still a little younger stay in a marriage, for instance, far longer than we should because we were taught that the vows said for better or worse, and if we got worse, well, we just had to stick with it, had to live with it. Some stay in a relationship, whether it's a married relationship or just a, you know, a close relationship, even a friendship. We stay there out of fear or guilt or whatever it is that keeps us hanging on to something that doesn't work. Why do we do that? You know, we want happiness and somehow think that if we hang on long enough, maybe things will turn around and we'll have it. Some do leave a bad relationship and then set out on a quest to find someone who's going to make them happy. That rarely works because happiness, as you remember, we've talked about this a number of times, happiness is an inside job. Today we're going to talk with Christopher Moon about how to experience your unimaginable capacity for love and have the relationship you've probably longed for. Christopher Moon is a counselor, life coach, workshop leader, author, public speaker, and a Canadian. His primary passion and focus are on the areas of intimate relationships, parenting, emotional adulthood, consciousness, and the effortless experience of true happiness. I want you to remember that phrase, the effortless experience of true happiness. Through private sessions and workshops, Christopher has helped thousands of people answer the fundamental questions, who am I and what is my purpose? His work is unique in that it offers direct experiences and tools that people can use instantly and effortlessly to deepen their connections with others and themselves. He is the author of several books, including his latest, The Untethered Relationship, Experience Your Unimaginable Capacity for Love. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the Self-Improvement Show, Christopher Moon. Chris, welcome.
2: Thank you, Irene. I'm excited to uh, participate.
1: Oh, I'm absolutely delighted. This is a topic that's long, long overdue. And I'm going to ask you that first question I ask everybody. Tell us about yourself. Who is Christopher Moon? Or in your words, who are you and what is your purpose?
2: Um, Yeah, that's always an interesting (laughs) question to answer. Because what I have seen of myself is that I... I have, this, um, I have this kind of attitude about life that, that is just about, uh, you know, it seems to be the opposite of what I grew up believing. So I'm a person, I'd say, who's Christopher Moon? Christopher Moon is, a, is just a very happy individual. It's someone who, for years, was looking around for something that was inside him all along. And that was never hiding, although I thought it was hiding from me and that it had to be achieved in some way. I just, uh, at some point in my life, I just discovered that I am what I've been looking for. So I, I'm, I, I would say that's the best way I can say it. I'm just a very happy, content person at this time in my life. And your purpose? My purpose is to appreciate, I know this, this is going to sound so cliche that I'm well, embarrassed <laughs> to say it, but it's. It, my purpose is just to appreciate as many, as often as I can, the moment that life presents.
1: That's oh, all I it, want to I, do
2: is just live in appreciation.
1: It may be cliche, but there aren't very many of us who do that yeah. uh, or can even articulate it. You've written a book, The Untethered Relationship. I love the cover. The cover, for those of you who haven't seen it, it, is white, and it has a rope hanging down the middle of it, and the rope has been cut, and the ends are frayed, and the, the title is The Untethered Relationship, Experience Your Unimaginable Capacity for Love. Chris, what do you mean by an untethered relationship? I would assume that the rope is off your neck, or the leash is off. <laughs> I, I don't right. Know.
2: <laughs> well, I there's say? two examples I'd like to give about that. One is, uh, historically, uh, marriage and uh, intimate relationships was more like a three-legged race where two people get together and, at a picnic and you tie their the right leg to the other one's left leg and they have to run around and get to the finish line ahead of everyone else. And it always looks very awkward because you have two distinct individuals mm-hmm learning how to live in rhythm with each other, learning how to move in rhythm with each other, This, which is fine as long as they both want to go in the same direction. But as soon as one wants to go in one direction, the other one wants to go in a different one, that's when you begin to see these uh, struggles occurring because they feel they're tied together by some invisible bond, or bond, I don't know which, and... Uh, that doesn't make, it only makes for conditional agreements or compromises. It doesn't allow for each person to be free to live according to their, their heart's desire. The other um, example I'd give is that of a, the two-boat policy that I write, in my, I write about in the book. And, and that is, again, historically, relationship has been one person getting in the other person's boat, and then them sailing off into the sunset, you know, romantically, etc. But my experience is that my wife and I can't even agree on how to drive a car. You know, how, what's, what's the best rules for the road, etc. So for us to be in one boat, it, it would be so difficult for us, the individuals in the relationship, to be able to express their essence. Because there's always this uh, sense that they're bound or they're... Sometimes even marriage turns into a prison. So uh, the untethered relationship is about, you know, just being free to be true to yourself and share that experience with another person, but not only that, to support the other person to be true to themselves too. And so that means giving each other the freedom. Which is a huge risk in you know in modern relationships because we're we're not uh we're very uh, jealous people. Human beings are very no. jealous individuals and very um, I don't know. I wouldn't want to say insecure, but uh, I don't I don't see that we've I don't see that in general that we've grown up enough to be able to give each other the freedom that every human being deserves
1: in in the book and you just brought up a lot of questions in my in my mind but in the book you talk about emotional adulthood how right. is emotional adulthood different from emotional and in, intelligence or emotional um, what's the other one that we use all the time EQ oh, yeah emotional I- intelligence and um Ha! Huh, it's just gone out of my head. Right, but, right.
2: You know what? What's the,
1: what's what is emotional adulthood as opposed to the other ways we express uh, that?
2: It's not much different. Uh, for a long time, I dealt with that um, emotional intel uh, emotional intelligence. And yeah,
1: and maturity uh, is look, the word I was trying to get to emotional maturity.
2: Maturity. Is yeah, what, they're they're pretty well related. I just wanted to a phrase that appealed to me, and it was one that, uh, when I was dealing with emotional intelligence, it was just about learning how to um, heal our emotional wounds and how to uh, understand what we were really feeling, etc., whereas emotional adulthood is about really growing up emotionally. Now, this is a very difficult concept to explain, but it makes it simpler if you ever listen to two grown-ups having an argument. And how quickly that argument uh, degenerates into that kind of uh, schoolyard kind of banter or name-calling, you know, or, I did, I didn't, you did, you did not, you did, I did not kind of, you are, you, I am not, that kind of...
1: Um, I'm going to go tell on you.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it's just, if you really listen to people in intimate relationships when they argue, that's when their fundamental <clears throat> emotional age emerges because they are, what I've found over and over again is that we really stopped growing up emotionally at a certain point. And a lot of it is, you know, 60 years of age. And in some countries, it's three years old that the, the people just stopped growing emotionally because they had to protect themselves so much that they built this enormous defense system around their feelings. And once you do that, you you can't grow anymore. You can't become any more than a six-year-old emotionally because the defense system is not only there to protect you, it's there to hold you in. It's there to keep you there. So what I've uh, found is that by getting through our defense system and confronting our vulnerability, our human vulnerabilities, we actually begin to grow up. We grow in awareness. We grow in acceptance. We grow in recognition that we are not what we believe ourselves to be. And uh, it's just a far, far different from... Li- we tend to live, as human beings, we tend to live in our defense, control, and manipulation zone because we we just feel safer there, and we don't like to deal with our our you know like I said our jealousies for one or our feelings of helplessness or powerlessness which which all human beings experience, and yet and it, when when those feelings come up our our alarms go off, and we immediately go into a defensive
1: posture, and I guess we probably pretty much all do that the 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 tiger untethered relationship seems almost like an oxymoron to me. Yeah. How how can you be untethered un you know unbound in any way to eat while well, you are bound in some ways by choice but and have a relationship how can two people be an uh, individual and yet a couple. I used to do a lot of weddings, and I would say to the couple, you know, you really need to remember that you need to stay who you are now and and then become this third entity of the two of you. A- mm-hmm. And as I reflect on that, I'm thinking, you know, nobody ever asked me how you do that.
2: Right. Well, it's, if you're living, if a person is living in their defense zone, which which a majority of people are, there is no way they can experience an untethered relationship. Uh, the the person, the important thing is understanding your own preferences, not not your personal preferences, your essential preferences. We're all uh, essential beings living inside a human body, and we tend to serve the body's preferences. Whereas who we really are, our essence, let's say, has a specific characteristics and uh, gifts and qualities that when they are expressed, they're expressed in a very, very unique way. And th- then they're expressed as individuals. So let's say you're, you've got this two-boat policy and the two of you are sailing along. And one of you wants to go check out an island over uh, in the east there, and the other one doesn't. The other one wants to uh, go and see what another part of the world looks like. You know, there's just their hearts are guiding them in two different directions, and yet, even though they move apart, they are not apart because they're connected. They're connected because they're both following their their essential. Um, inclinations and they're both supporting each other to do that. I mean, I, you know, I've, my children are in different parts of the country and they have been for years. I have never felt disconnected from them because I've always just wanted the best for them. I've always, in my heart, supported them. So we're not separate in any way. I feel as close to them as if they were living at home. And that's the same thing with this two-boat thing is that as long as you're supporting each other to be true to your, to, true to your soul, you cannot be apart.
1: So you're saying that in the boat analogy, the one who wants to go see the island should go see the island, and the other one should go do what they prefer, <clears throat> and then and they're still connected, and then they still come connected. back together and and can share the experience. Is that the gist of it?
2: They, they tend to, I would say, in uh, you know, 98% of those, maybe 99% of those cases, yeah, they, they, they move away to explore different things and meet up again and share what they've experienced and then can go on for a long time and then maybe one will go off in another way, the other will go off in a different way. In 1% of the cases, they may never come back. They may never, uh, you know, meet again. But again, it's, uh, it's, what's important is that they're following what's really true for them to follow. And that's the key to being an emotional adult is not putting your needs, your personal needs, or your defenses ahead of your essence, ahead of what you really are.
1: Oh, and we need to talk about that. A whole lot more. We're going to ha- take some time to have a break, and then okay. we're going to come back and get into how do you handle having a two boat relationship. This is my, this is Irene Conlon with my guest Christopher Moon. Saying, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with
0: Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
3: How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment.
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Christopher Moon, who's written an amazing book titled The Untethered Relationship. And he's brought so many questions to my mind that I think we need several shows here. Uh, We were talking before the break about essential um, preferences and about being an emotional adult. And and I believe, Christopher, you said that we should follow what our soul is telling us. And, you know, and and my head is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do I even know I'm an emotional adult? And how do I know whether this person that I think I'm absolutely head over heels in love with is an emotional adult? Mm -hmm. Uh, How do we sort this out?
2: Well, for um, one thing, it's just the way life seems to work. Uh, uh, when I did a lot of marriage counseling, it seems that uh, uh, people of the same emotional level tend to find each other. You almost never, I, even if you see this 75-year-old man with a 30-year-old wife, they, there may seem a big disparity in ages, but their emotional uh, maturity is at the same level. So you're saying like attracts works.
1: like.
2: In a way, it's just that, that just, it, it, for instance, your emotional level would be the same. Uh, when you left home, uh, I left home like 40, 50, 45 years ago or something like that. And when I did, I was at the same emotional age as my parents. Uh, so it, it, and sometimes I, you know, we could go through our whole life and not grow up emotionally the way you can, I, I don't feel like I'm any more than an emotional teenager now. If, if that, you know, because the way you look at it is how do you handle irritation and anxiety? Do you, uh, and what are you like when you get angry? And you can basically see through those two questions, you can see, um, your own, not to judge it in any way, but you can kind of see um, how old you are just by the way you react to life. Some of There's us either. are still
1: two. There's... Pardon? <laughs> Some of us may still be in the terrible twos.
2: Well, that's uh, that's a response I got sometimes in my workshops when I would ask people to gauge their own level of emotional maturity. And I would talk, give them examples of... Uh, when you're irritated, if you uh, automatically uh, react to the irritation and project the irritation outside of you. As soon as you get irritated, if you're blaming somebody else for your irritation and then uh, making them responsible for your emotional state, um, then that's not what I would call, uh, that's still not very well developed emotionally emotionally. It's, you're just, um, you're looking in the wrong direction, you're blaming somebody else, you're wanting to make somebody else guilty for what you're experiencing, etc. And then if you attack them for it, that shows an even, you know, a, that's kind of like a three to six-year-old reaction, the reaction of a three to six-year-old, where you just, everything that you don't like, the, whatever feeling you don't like, you make it somebody else's responsibility. So that's one example. The thing, I, thing Irene, I, I don't think most people understand, and you only would, I think, because you wouldn't know this from being um, in this field, is that marriage and intimate relationships isn't about love. If you, if you, because you can love anybody, that doesn't mean you marry them. That doesn't mean exactly. you come into emotional relationship with them. But the fact is that in today's day and age, emotion. Uh, Intimate and marriage relationships are about importance. And if you look at all the fighting that goes on in a marriage or in an intimate relationship, I guarantee you, you'll find the issue of importance and belonging at the root of the fight. Someone doesn't feel they're good enough or somebody feels excluded or rejected. Uh, Almost all the time, that's what the fighting is about. Even if you think it's about money or children or whatever, and so how you deal with that issue of importance and belonging will determine how how much you can grow up.
1: Oh, that's an interesting insight. Um, would love to have more time to develop it. But I think we need to move on because you have so many good things in your book. In the Thank very you. first line of your book, <clears throat> you say, I offer this book as a way to support you to have a direct experience of the true happiness that you actually are. And mm-hmm. we can spend another whole show just on that statement.
2: hmm
1: How do you explain the happiness that you actually already are to people mm-hmm. who think they need happiness from someone else?
2: Right, right. Yeah no the first thing i start with i would start with is is what i'm saying true if the person uh, who hears that statement do they do they feel it in their heart to be true or not so if they think it's not true then the only other possibility is that happiness is somewhere outside of you and you have to find the way that it can be achieved but if what i am saying is true it means that you can stop looking outside the person can stop looking outside for what's right in front of them. Okay, so that's step number one. You accept, okay, the happiness is here. It's always here because to be unconditional, it can't fluctuate. It can't come and go. It's here. It's always here. And so w- uh, the person might ask, why am I not seeing it right now? And my response is, well, look at what you are seeing. Look at, look at, look at your situation. Are you judging your situation? Are you not fully accepting the situation in this moment? Are you not fully accepting how you feel in this moment? Because it's acceptance that unlocks the, or um, takes the blinders off the eyes. Most of the, in life, we have two choices to either accept or reject. That's every human life experience comes from one of those two. If you're not experiencing, or if I'm not experiencing the happiness right now, what is it that I am not accepting? That maybe, oh, while I'm in the office, I can't, I can't accept it. You know, this isn't the right condition for being happy. Or I can't be happy until I know this is, you know, until I have this kind of situation. Or I can't be happy until I have this amount of money. And so we... We are not accepting the situation we're in at the moment. But as soon as we do start accepting what is, it starts to lift the blinders off our eyes, and we get to actually see, but not with our eyes, we get to see that this happiness is a constant presence in our lives. Even when you're uh, so-called unhappy, you can still be happy, because happiness isn't conditional to what you feel. Happiness is a state of being. So you can be happy and be sad. You can be happy and be joyful. The, the happiness doesn't shift, doesn't change with conditions or experiences. I know and, that, and I guess, for, okay, for ahead, the sir. sake of
1: the listeners, I would need to ask you, how do you define happiness?
2: Um, happiness, you know, the first thing I always <laughs> say is happiness is nothing. <laughs> because you cannot describe it it what we thought of as happiness was often relief or glee or um a sense of achievement and those were all uh, temporary experiences so happiness is a permanent state of being that is our uh, what it's what we really are it's it's, it's this happy joyful being that we really are uh, coming into a human form to have a human experience and um, that's about all I can say it's just this presence that is closer to you than your own breath
1: and you know I I think that for people who get so lost in things like cell phones and texting and TV and what people tell us we should be like and tell us all the things we should have to be happy, it's really hard to to focus in on the fact that there's a part of us that's happy, that there's a part right. of us that doesn't need all that stuff, that right. there's a part of us that we need to get acquainted with that's always it's, there and always happy. And You know... It's, To get people to do that um, and even recognize that that's available to them can be difficult.
2: It's all—I would say—it's almost impossible. Uh, And but you know, nothing's truly impossible. But it on the surface it seems almost impossible because one of the things that, if you notice, one of the words that we use a lot is the word "should." Yes. And as, so, as soon as we use the word should, uh, we're moving away from what is. So you're, you we're either thinking about what we should do or what we should be or what we shouldn't do and shouldn't be. And a lot of our lives are run by shoulds. And what happened to me when I, when I began to have that direct experience of happiness, I tell you at least 50% of the shoulds in my life immediately disappeared. Immediately I was, I couldn't believe how less tormented I felt. And then I realized shoulds are such tormentors because they don't, should does not allow for acceptance. It's always about, you know, there's something wrong with me, so I should be better. I shouldn't be like this. Or there's something wrong with this situation or with my life. It should be different. And that should is such a tormentor.
1: On the back of your book, you say, release your expectations and experience your true self. And I would think that releasing your expectations would get rid of the shoulds.
2: Would get rid of, uh, well, it should.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good.
2: (laughs) It does. It does. (laughs) Expectations are the same thing as a should.
1: A should, yeah. You have eight principles and a bonus principle. In the uh-huh. book, and these are so good. Can we go through some of these? You know, like the first one. My partner is not the source of my happiness. I am. Mm-hmm.
3: You no, know, and
1: it uh, that always takes me when I read that. It takes me to that line in Jerry Maguire, where she says, "You complete me." Right, right. I had trouble with that ever since I heard it. Because I, I kind of think I'm complete.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I, I'm complete. I, there's no room in my skin for somebody else to complete me. Right, right. How? No way you know, is, this, <laughs> you know, is this what you're meaning by that? My partner's not the source of my happiness?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... I mean, if you look at the motivation for most people, to, to, for most of us to get involved in an intimate relationship, or, or even most, most of our close relationships, it's, uh, it's to get something from the other person. I mean, it's a need that draws us a lot of times. And so if it's a need, that means you believe there's an emptiness inside you, somewhere, a hunger, a thirst, or an emptiness, that something from outside of you has to satiate, has to satisfy. So right away, you're, I I don't want to, how to say this, right away, you're screwed. Yeah, well, that's a
1: good way to say it.
2: Yeah, you're, you're not, you've no chance of ever considering that what you're looking for is already there.
1: And so you choose somebody that you think is going to fill your need, and that can't be.
2: It can't be. And, it, and it, even if you, like if you have the Buddha for a partner, <laughs> it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Just because that need, by its nature, is impossible to satisfy. Sometimes it gets soothed, and the, but the next time that, the, that it, the person tries to soothe it in that way, it's not going to be enough. Just because the nature of need is, it cannot be satisfied.
1: And, and we really need to remember that. This one, I think, is maybe, to me, I'm going to skip one because it's almost the same. My partner's not the cause of my unhappiness. Right. But this, this one I, is so critical. No matter how hard I try, I cannot change my partner. Uh-huh, yeah, well, then stop. You know, uh, you know, to me, that's the one that causes more problems in relationships than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. when you start mm-hmm. trying to change the person. we talk about unconditional love, and I love you unconditionally, but I you know if you just stop doing what you do or being who you are, I'd be happier kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it it gets us into trouble. What do you tell people when they come to you and say, I can't get my partner to whatever, you know, stop clearing I, I, his throat I, or picking I, his nose I, I, or whatever?
2: I basically uh, just tell them your partner is in your life for one purpose, and that's to irritate you. <laughs> that's the way I start. I, I don't mean it literally that that's all, all they're going to do. But basically, from the get-go, your partner is going to be the major irritant in your life. And that's essential to helping you grow. Uh, when life wants you to grow, it sends an irritant. It sends a stimulant. And there's no better. Maybe your kids are a second, second line of, of uh, oh, irritation. Yeah. But it's, it's all, what, what they think is that if my partner, what I, what I would always think is if my partner's irritating me, if I'm upset, there's something wrong either with my partner or the relationship or me. And I don't want anything to be wrong with me, so it's going to be my partner or the relationship. And if there's something wrong with the relationship, then it's my partner's fault. <laughs> you know, so I'm not understanding that the, the primary function of the partner is to help you grow up. We always look at them when they're helping us to grow up. We look at them as the enemy. When yes. in fact, that that's their function is to make us uncomfortable enough to grow.
1: So you're saying that when you feel if you do that one more time, I'm either going to have to kill you or leave. Yeah, that's a sign that you need to grow up.
2: Most I'm of the time, saying. yeah. I, even you know, there are points where, if say, for instance, the the. the one of the partners is drinking from morning till night, and the other partner just feels like I've had enough. This is this is just you know I'm I'm, I'm walking out of this one. I, those those types of situations there's always those, but in a day to day basis, the average relationship there the partner is going to irritate you, and it's it's there for your benefit. So you might as well give them, a, you know, thank them for doing their job and ask them to keep doing it until you're, you've grown up,
1: until you can do it without being all unhinged. On yes. that note, we're going to go to break. This is okay. Irene Conlin with my guest Christopher Moon saying, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more about untethered relationships. <laughs> Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Christopher Moon, who's written an amazing book called The Untethered Relationship that will give you a whole different perspective on maturity, for one thing, and relationships. I really, really encourage you, if you're in a relationship, to get this book, maybe read it together and talk about it. could be very helpful uh, for both of you. Christopher, tell us how how people can reach you if they want to find you. How do they do that?
2: Well, uh, I live in a I live in the only desert in Canada, so I'm not that <laughs> I'm not that easy to get to uh, physically. But um, I would like to mention that I invite people to uh, go on my website because there's a. Um, at www.visionmountain.com because there's a couple of card games you can play. Once you uh, log in, you can play these uh, relationship card games. One's uh, about building a foundation for a relationship, and then the uh, building the structure of relationship. And uh, you can play those games freely. And also, if you if you do uh, register, I'll send you a free workbook on uh, relationships. Uh, relation- I wrote a book called Relationship Bridge to the Soul, and a workbook is uh, related to the, what what was brought up in that book. So I really encourage people to um, peruse those. They so can get a better feel, and it's at no cost to anybody. They can, they can just get a feel for this kind of work, this kind of uh, approach.
1: Oh, I think this kind of approach could change a lot of relationships and society if we'd Go that way and I'll grow up a little bit. Uh, If you've forgotten that his website is Vision Mountain, you can find it on the self-improvement blog. You can click it and go from there. Uh, But do look it up. It's a really lovely website. has some very valuable and interesting material on it. We've been talking about relationships from all points of view. But this one, I think, um, and this is one of his principles... Is so important. I want you to explain it to us, Christopher. Specialness is not love. He doesn't make me feel special, so you know. Finish the sentence. I want to feel special.
2: So yeah. um, So if he doesn't make me feel special, he doesn't love me. Yeah. And yet, specialness is a. uh, It's an illusion. It's. It's an uh, unattainable. Uh, thing to experience, you can only experience it temporarily, and not for much longer than I would say half an hour before you're wanting more, before you're wanting to feel more of it, or before the feeling is faded that you're the most important person in that in your uh, partner's life. the The need to be important is such an obsession with us that we base our our relationships on it. How important do I feel? When I'm with this person, how important does this person make me feel, etc. Does this person praise me or appreciate me enough? And it's impossible for an individual to satisfy that 24-hour-a-day thirst for specialness. And yet we called it—we called it love. They call it love in movies. They call it love in books. That the feeling that you're the most important person in the world is love. But it's not. It's just something for the personality, or whatever you call it, the ego, to um, to revel in. For like I said very briefly, Most let me ask time, you a
1: question: Does being now does needing to feel special also mean that I need to be in control? Are those two, two you know twins?
2: Well, one leads to the other. Yeah, I mean, being in control makes sure that you don't you don't feel unspecial, and that, but but you try to control things so that it'll make you feel special. But specialness is the goal.
1: Yeah, not and, ordinary. And it's, but it's, I, I need to be the only one on the horizon. Is that what right. that means?
2: Exactly. You were, we were like that with our parents. We wanted to be the most special child to our parents. Um we want to be the most special friend, you know it just it goes on and on, and it is an amazingly exclusive experience that we uh, that we chase after it it just causes so much suffering and torment in relationships, and yet we can't seem to get enough of it
1: you know I hear women saying things like you know so and so does this for his wife why can't you do that? Why can't you make me feel that way? That seems almost like a death sentence for a marriage.
2: Oh, man, it puts so much pressure on the other person. And, and uh, wh- how's it, how does that work anyway? Because if you want your partner to make you feel special, well, then don't you, aren't you supposed to be making them feel special too? I mean, isn't that, it's got to go both
1: ways. Yeah, but I've got to be more special than he
2: but it, but he wants that too.
1: <laughs> he wants that too. So you're yeah. always in competition, aren't you?
2: Exactly. Specialness is an exclusive, an excluding experience, not not a joining experience. It there's only room for one at the top.
1: Yep. Unfortunately, and and, and many many people are in that that dilemma of competition in their relationship. So one. Principle that I just relish, and I want to talk about this uh, is your bonus, and that is I am the one that I've been looking for. hmm S- Explain that. Talk about that.
2: Um. Yeah. The it's, it's uh I was going to capitalize the uh, O in one. By the way, just as another, an added, added bonus, I am the one that Uh, I'm looking for.
1: Ah, yeah. Uh,
2: But the thing is that we almost uh, vault into this world in a state of searching. And we are constantly, I mean, my first 52 years of life, it seemed, was constantly looking for truth. I was looking for something that I could, first of all, believe in that would be so solid that it would never desert me or betray me. I wanted to be able to find something that was, and I thought I wanted to find the perfect partner, the perfect wife. I wanted to find the truth about who I am. I kept searching and searching, looking through books, and I've read so much. And I've, I've gone to listen to so many teachers out of that need to find something. And then one day, only one day to realize that what I was searching for is not even hiding. It's not even, it's not even a foot away from me. I mean, I can't look anywhere without it being right there with me. And yet here I am brushing it aside and looking for that whatever it is that I think is out there. But it's this moment in this moment is exactly has exactly what every single human being in the world is looking for, and only in the moment. They're not going to find it tomorrow. And that's another problem with searching. When we get on the the path of searching, whatever we're searching for is always in the future. And we are always in the present, in fact. So we're we're never going to get into the future. So what we're looking for must be here now.
1: It must be. And I'm thinking of that song, looking for love in all the wrong places.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> we we need to look within I- instead of without.
2: And And the amazing thing is, this is why partners will irritate each other, is that in the irritation, once you stop reacting to what the other person is doing and you look at your own discomfort inside you, and you accept it, accept that human experience of discomfort, what this does is it expands your awareness. And with your awareness, you can penetrate that vulnerability that you you think is you. You can actually see through that vulnerability to the essence of what you really are. It's, uh, It's what I call a process in the book, and it's You know the the uh, ingredients for process are acceptance, awareness, and ultimately appreciation. So if you can accept your vulnerability, which is very difficult for us to do, and just be with it, we will see the uh, the uh, vulnerability as a just like a cloud. It's not solid at all. And with your awareness, uh, nothing untrue can withstand awareness. So once you shine the light of direct awareness on something that's not true, it'll dissolve in front of your very eyes and you can look into what is really true.
1: Let me ask you this. What happens in a relationship when one person awakens and the other one may not? Mm -hmm. How does that change the relationship? Can a relationship last
2: I have. I've never seen it happen, uh, but yes, I'm. I'm sure it can. I'm sure it can last.
1: I would because, think that the. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say uh, the only thing though is uh, it's the level of emotional maturity in both people, the level of, of of responsiveness in their lives. You basically, when you're in a relationship, you're in a relationship with someone at the same level. Now, if you take a step ahead and grow in emotional maturity most of the time the partner within two hours to two weeks will take that step and stand beside you now if you take another step it's the same thing that other partner will eventually take that step and be beside you the the thing is though that if you take a step and that partner doesn't step forward you're more likely to take another step and the relationship is over it's just it it completely disappeared because you're at a another uh, age, and yes. you def- we tend to not stay with people that are at of different ages emotionally with e- with each other.
1: And that's what I was thinking as I read this that that it would be impossible to stay for both of them. Right. And it's okay to say, you know, this relationship is not working for me now. Uh, We used to get so uptight because the relationship ended. And yet we expect everybody to grow and change.
2: Yeah. I know. And sometimes one person outgrows the other uh, for a period of time. Maybe later on that other person will grow as well. But sometimes they don't. And that's just the way it is. They're enjoying whatever... Uh, stage they're in, and they, they want to stay there. The yeah. other one wanted to move on. That's, uh, I don't, I've never seen any, any relationship be anything but perfect, no matter what it looks like on the outside. It's, uh, it's designed for one purpose, and that's to help the individual, give the individual every opportunity possible to grow in, aware, in acceptance and awareness and appreciation of who they really are, of of what they are, of of the life they've been experiencing.
1: Well, there's a lot to think about in your book. Again, I, I encourage everybody that's in a relationship or wants to be in a relationship to read The Untethered Relationship. It is so good. Christopher, I hate to say this, but we are right up to the end of the show.
2: Well, uh, thank you very much, I Amy. Mean.
1: Uh, what's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today?
2: Um, basically, what I iterated before, the, that we have two options in life. Whenever we're presented, with any situation we're presented with, whether we like it or not, we have two options. We can either accept what is, or we can uh, experience the suffering of rejecting what is and chasing after what we think should be. Uh, I, either way, there's no right or wrong in my life. You accept or you reject because that's the human choice you have. And either way, it's fine. It's just that acceptance has less suffering attached to it. it has no suffering attached to it, actually. So if if you really if you really are suffering, it's probably because you're rejecting what could be accepted.
1: Ah. Uh. If you say that again, if you're really suffering, it's because you're rejecting what can be accepted I, you you could say should be we yeah, don't do yeah. the should yeah, we don't do the should thing but um, yeah. it, it happens with awareness and appreciation and acceptance. Christopher, yeah. thank you so much for being oh, with us l- today l- it really was great. I really
2: appreciate your uh, work I mean.
1: Lovely, lovely book. Uh, Thank you so much. I encourage everybody to read it. Uh, Again, The Untethered Relationship, you can get it at Amazon or any bookstore. Um, You'll be so glad you did that. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, guest, Christopher Moon, saying thank you so much for being with us today. Come back again next week for more of The Self-Improvement Show.
0: you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.